Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. We are at episode 111, and today's guest is Todd Garland, founder of Buy, Sell, Ads. Buy, Sell, Ads is an ad tech company that builds scalable revenue programs for companies with captive audiences. Todd has built the company by bootstrapping it from day one, and there's no tricks to their business model. It is a marketplace that aims to find audiences who are passionate and match them up with advertisers who are interested in advertising their product or service to those audiences. The goal is to add value to the web with contextually relevant ads for consumers. Well, here's a fun fact about buy, sell ads that you might not know. Remember the website Dig, D-I-G-G, the popular news sharing website from the early Web 2.0 era of user-generated content? The site was founded by Kevin Rose, who infamously appeared on the cover of Business Week, representing this new wave of Silicon Valley founders. Well, did you know that Dig was acquired last year by buy, sell ads? It is 1,000% true. I find it fascinating that a Boston company owns this piece of internet history. At the beginning of our podcast, Todd and I get into lots of details behind this acquisition, and although the site is not nearly as popular as it once was, I'm really curious to see what they do with it, so stay tuned. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Todd's background growing up in Maine and his experience as an early employee at HubSpot, the origin story of buy-sell ads, how it went from being a side project generating over a million dollars in revenue to becoming his full-time job, and the challenges of building out the first versions of this product, how he built out the marketplace in terms of supply and demand, why he's decided to bootstrap his company over raising outside capital, speculation on the future of ad tech, advice for founders looking to acquire companies, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note. We just published the July edition of Career Forward. It is the monthly roll-up of the hottest jobs across the Boston tech scene. This month, there are over 120 jobs listed across all levels of experience and all functional areas like sales, product management, software engineering, and many, many other categories. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash Career Forward, all one word, to start exploring. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Todd. Todd, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Keith. I'm excited to talk to you, Todd. We have so much to cover with buy, sell ads, uh, and you've got such a great history of running a company that's been bootstrapped, which is incredibly hard to do. But a fun fact that a lot of people in the Boston tech scene might not know is the fact that buy, sell ads acquired one of the uh, legendary web 2.0 uh, web properties, that being Dig, D-I-G-G, which was the high flyer Kevin Rose uh, company that was just, uh, you know, he was on the cover of Business Week and all this crazy stuff. Um, that property is now owned by your company. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, so uh, interesting story, I guess. We, uh, for a while, have been selling ads for the folks at Dig, um, and um, an opportunity came up for us to participate. Uh, in part of Dig's future, and so we, you know, we we jumped on the opportunity, uh, and I guess as they say, the rest is history. Um, I think the interesting thing about Dig is like I, a lot of my early experience on the internet was like with uh, HubSpot um, sitting in a room in CIC trying to figure out how to get on the front page of Dig. Um, so you know, in many ways, um, that was the growth hack then. Exactly. Um, in many ways, Dig is almost like a collector's item in a weird way. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like, now I feel this pressure where, um, I really can't screw this up. And so I need to figure out how to like actually make something of it again, which has been a slow process, but it is a process and it's something that we're, we're working on. Well, stay tuned. Cause hopefully you do kind of resurrect dig. It's yeah. almost like, I remember when, um, 
Justin Timberlake had an investment in MySpace, like trying to resurrect, resurrect that, right? Or um, if all of a sudden you acquired Napster, right? Yep. And what, you know, what would you do with that type of thing? So I'll, I'll be, you know, really, I'll be following along and I'm excited to see what you end up doing with it. Cool. Thank you. Well, let's rewind the clock. So uh, where'd you grow up? You know, what were you like as a kid? Were you always kind of entrepreneurial? Um, I wouldn't say entrepreneurial. Um, I like making money for sure. Um, I grew up in a small town called Cape Porpoise, Maine, uh, which most people know as Kenny Bunkport. Uh, Kenny Bunkport encapsul- encapsulates Cape Porpoise. Uh, and Cape Porpoise is like the small fishing village um, in Kenny Bunkport. Um, you know, I grew up fishing golf balls out of the river, um, selling things out of my house that my parents probably didn't want me to sell and as like a, you know, a yard sale uh, out by the street. Um, Kited at the golf course, wash dishes. Washing dishes is actually the, my most favorite job ever. Um, Why? You can get like totally lost in thought. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's like a repetitive task. It's fun to optimize to figure out how to do things faster. Um, and then the rest of the time, you can just sit there, like you know, thinking about anything that you want to think about. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I don't know if I'd classify myself as entre- entrepreneurial from the start. Um, I think, you know, I grew up with modest means and just wanted to make money to provide for a family. So, okay, so, um, you know, you went to UMass and studied there, but then, then you ended up living in Brazil, right? So after high school, I lived in Brazil for a year. Okay. So it was before college, uh, through Rotary Youth Exchange, which, uh, if people are unfamiliar with Rotary Youth Exchange, it's like probably one of the best things that happened to me, um, as a, a teenager. Um, and Yes, then I went to, to UMass. I majored in Portuguese. Uh, didn't graduate, but that's a long story. Um, that's a different podcast. Yes, that's a, that's a <laughs> totally different podcast. Uh, but yeah, and then left UMass, uh, moved to Boston. Uh, that's like the natural progression for, I think, a lot of people who go to UMass. Um, and just started building websites at an interactive agency. So, so and what was that you know, first job? So what was that... Um you know, how'd you get involved with the web and, you know, when, you know, when was your um, decision to make your, you know, start your first company? Yeah. So, I mean, I, um, you know, I'm not like a, a, a trained developer, you know, like I, at UMass, I didn't take any computer science courses or anything like that. Um, I, you know, kind of fumbled my way through like CGI scripts and, you know, the very heavy table-based design of like the late nineties, uh, early 2000s, um, I became fascinated with CSS and learning how to, uh, you know, not use tables in design. Um, and that's, I would say, like where, uh, like what kind of actually set me on the path towards Bicel Ads. Um, I started um, not even open sourcing, just providing free code samples of CSS snippets. Uh, people would email me to purchase ads on those sites and I would sell them to them in a very manual fashion. Um, and that was kind of the genesis behind Bicel Ads. Got it. Okay. And then eventually, you know, you highlighted HubSpot earlier. So, uh, you know, what brought you to HubSpot and what was the size of HubSpot back then? Cause you, you mentioned they were still at the CIC. Yeah. So I, uh, luckily, uh, replied to a Craigslist post from Darmesh, um, who was looking for, like, you know, people who could code or something like that. <laughs> Darmesh was putting ads on, on Craigslist. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, it was like him, Brian, Mike Wolpe, uh, Jonah, uh, Patrick Fitzsimmons, Mark Berberge, um, 
So, I mean, there was maybe like five to seven people in the room when I showed up there. Wow. Okay. So you were super early. Yeah, super early. So can't claim any, um, you know, um, any of their success. All of the good things happened after I left. Um, but yeah, so I actually had Bicelots built before I joined HubSpot because I had been working on it as a freelancer. And, um, you know, at the same time, I was fascinated by what HubSpot was doing. Like it was, it was a big vision that was very easy to buy into. I remember um, uh, emailing Darmesh uh, and saying, hey, uh, inboundmarketing.org and .net are available. You should buy them before I do it for you. Um, Get out. That's a... <laughs> Thank God they did. Yeah, random little things like that. So like the, I think the, the, their whole philosophy behind how to build a business uh, in today's age is uh, a very easy, um, you know, I would say vision or philosophy to get behind. Obviously, as you've seen, their success. Um, and so with me, you know, wanting to start what's effectively an ad tech company was almost like the opposite of what they were doing at the time. Um, and so I uh, stayed at HubSpot, I believe, for a year and a half, maybe close to two years. Um, but while I was there, I had launched Buy Sell Ads as like a nights and weekend project. Um, and it started working out, so it eventually just sucked me away, and I, I had to do it. I could not do it at that point. And what was it originally, like Buy Sell Ads? I'm sure things evolved, or maybe it is still consistent with the original vision, but what was it originally? Yeah, so we are still consistent, um, but it was primarily sponsorships. So it would be a fixed placement on a website uh, for 30 days at a flat rate. Uh, now we sell things uh, both like that, as well as CPM, CPC, CPA. Um, so the pricing model uh, has changed quite a bit, um, but it, we're still very focused on um, highly contextual placements on websites that uh, have uh, passionate audiences. So... Um, you know, for us, it's not like the rest of that tech where it's all about scale, you know, like billions and billions of impressions. It's more about where can we unearth those quality audiences for advertisers across the web and how can we package that up together so they can actually access that at scale as opposed to, you know, a marketer having 30 or 40 independent sites they're contacting to place these buys. Um, we do all that work to aggregate that um, for them uh, so it's a more accessible, more scalable buy. Now, going back to the early days of the company, like you, even though this was a side project, you were scaling revenue. I mean, I, I, yeah. I saw somewhere you had reached like one and a half million in annual revenue as this side project before you converted to, to full-time. Yeah. So, um, it was pretty funny. I think at the time it might've been actually competitive with a uh, HubSpot's revenue, um, but they'd raised a bunch of money. Um, and like we're on to two totally different tra trajectories and like ad revenue is not as, you know, um, valuable as SaaS revenue. So all those caveats aside, yeah, I mean, this thing was kind of just like cranking along. Um, you know, I, um, uh, would come home at night and like just the inbox of like order emails from authorized.net, which, uh, you know, this is before Stripe. Um, sure. and, uh, yeah, it, it just, it kind of started to take on a life of its own, to be honest. And were you finally at the point after seeing those emails day after day, like I, I got to do this full time. Like this is where I need to be spending 100% of my time. Yeah, so I stayed at HubSpot for 11 months after I launched Bicell Ads, and I would say about four months in, I knew that I was going to have to kind of plot my next move mm -hmm. uh, and started planning with those guys there for a slow departure. But it's, it's not like um, an easy thing to build. Uh, so so you know, like you talked about, it's not like you have a computer science background. How did you build you know, even version 1.0 of that product? 
Yeah, it's pretty ugly. You know, um, there was this Romanian company um, that built plugins for Dreamweaver, if you can believe it. Dreamweaver, yeah, sure. Called Interact, uh, I-N-T-E-R-A-K-T. Um, Adobe later acquired them, um, but they had like this Dreamweaver plugin that would like basically help you build CRUD applications. Um, and so I used like a, a modified version of that that I would modify outside of Dreamweaver um, to build the first version of Isolaz, believe it or not. So it's like this horribly, you know, uh, kludged together app. I mean, it looked pretty on the front end at the time. Um, today's standards, not so much, but um, I mean, it worked just well enough that you wouldn't know that it was a piece of junk, basically. And you're also building a marketplace. How did you build both sides from, you know, you know, supply and then, you know, the, the demand side? Just a lot of elbow grease, um, you know, reaching out to publishers who I knew I could provide some kind of value for. So for example, like our first advertiser on, on my sites was FreshBooks and I had a great relationship with them and I was able to see where else they were advertising. I'd say, Hey Mitch at Fresh, FreshBooks at the time, wouldn't it be nice if you could manage all these through Bicel ads and say, yeah, you know what, Todd, that'd be great. And so I reached out to those publishers, convinced them to add um, Bicel ads to their site and to run those places through there. And then like that, once you get like the first few um, customers on either side, you've got something to work with. And so it's almost like a step function, which is still true today where you're like trying to bring in inventory and then match it with demand, advertising demand, and just very slowly kind of climb up the ladder that way. Yeah. Now what's the current state of your business now as far as scale and what you guys are doing? Yeah. So we're about 50 people today. Um, we're fully remote. So, um, you know, I sit in an office about half hour South of Boston. Um, there aren't any other people or there's actually one, one more person in Boston. Um, but we're all spread out. You know, there's like New York, Toronto, California, Texas, North Carolina, uh, Florida. I mean, we're all over the place, a few in Europe. Um, and we're in our 11th year. Um, last year we grew about 80%, um, which was nice. Um, and, um, you know, I'd say we've survived a lot of, uh, consolidation and turmoil, if you will, within ad tech. Um, and I think, you know, one of the reasons is because what we do isn't like the next, it, it, there's like, there aren't any special tricks. All that we're doing is finding audiences who are passionate, matching advertisers who want to reach those audiences uh, and who have like a valuable service or product. Offer. It's super simple. It's like, if you're going to advertise in a magazine and you want to reach people who care about money, you're probably going to buy an ad in Forbes. If you want to reach designers who are, potentially buying some new, you know, um, photo editing software, something like that, you're probably going to advertise on Dribble. And so we basically just match people up that fit those profiles. It's very, very simple. And so, yeah, so you're not like trying to be the latest algorithmic technology that's leveraging, um, you know, deep learning expertise from MIT and, you know, so because it seems like ad tech, there, there has been a lot of companies that come out of the gate super fast and yep. they kind of skyrocket and then they you know, kind of level off and then they start to dip and then they kind of just disappear after time or they get rolled up into another company. Yeah. Ad tech is pretty sketchy, you know? Um, and it's not that like there, it's like a bunch of bad people out there doing bad things, but um, it's um, you know, there's a lot uh, of data floating around out there. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you can do with that data. Um, and 
you know, sometimes that very quickly comes in and out of flavor, right? Um, so, um, you know, for me, I try to contribute to the web, to a web that I want to participate in myself. And that isn't um, helping somebody buy an ad for these socks that I bought on Amazon 15 minutes ago that now follow me around for the next 24 hours. Like that's not my version of how I want to experience the web. Um, I like contextually relevant ads on the sites that I visit. I find that when uh, it's done well, it's almost more like a value add than a nuisance. Um, I don't want to be contributing to the, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that are installing ad blockers every day. Um, And so, uh, and I also don't want um, publishers to have to continue to kind of reduce themselves to the lowest common denominator uh, with regards to advertising as well. So we try to provide a more bespoke option, if you will, uh, minimalist ad formats, high quality advertisers, um, but, um, you know, something that publishers can rely on month over month, depend on. You've, you've made other acquisitions too. So there's almost like a portfolio of ad tech. And then we talked about, you know, dig. Um, and, and you also, uh, made another purchase of authentic jobs. So there's a whole portfolio of companies. So, so what else is under the buy, sell ads umbrella? Yeah. So, I mean, it's primarily ad tech or, um, content that is then monetized with ads. Um, and we're primarily focused on, uh, I would say four major categories. So, uh, designers, developers, uh, we kind of like loop, lump them together as like early adopters, people who are building stuff for the web. Um, there's uh, consumer tech, uh, which are, it's similar to like a dig audience, you know, people who are interested in technology. Um, and then there's uh, crypto slash finance, which is new, which kind of just happened. Uh, like, um, they naturally gravitated towards our solution. Um, and, um, but that's also kind of like tech related. Um, and, uh, yes, we have authentic jobs, which is a job board for designers and developers, um, does really well for remote, uh, people looking for remote employees. Um, so, I mean, there's no real rhyme or reason to the quote unquote portfolio other than like those core audiences of designers, developers, and people interested in tech really. Um, okay. One of the things that, um, uh, you've done with your company is you've, you know, bootstrapped it for since day one. Um, I'm sure there's been opportunities where maybe even you had inbound calls from VCs adding more fuel to the fire to grow it exponentially that much faster. Uh, I remember seeing you on a panel at a web innovators group meetings years ago talking about bootstrapping. So, so why have you talked and you know, why have you focused on bootstrapping versus some of the other alternative ways of uh, scaling and growing a company through VC money? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, and I don't know that I have a perfect answer. I would say first off it's, it's what I know. It's what's comfortable for me. Um, you know, we've always had a very practical approach to scaling by sell ads. Um, and, um, you know, I prefer, uh, to, um, for the money in our bank account to be from our customers. Um, that said, um, you know, I definitely think there's things we could be doing more quickly right now, especially, um, either acquisitions or, um, just growing out the team a bit uh, more quickly than you're like apt to do as a bootstrapping business. Um, so I'd say it's more situational than like philosophical in many ways. Um, and, um, only other thing I'd offer is, you know, it's, um, 
I, I feel like people uh, assume that you have to raise money, um, which many times I think folks would be a little bit better off if they waited a little bit longer, um, you know, um, got their hands a little bit dirtier up front and just tried to uh, get to some point of, of revenue before going out to raise money. But what do I know? So. <laughs> Well, the other thing you mentioned is you have a remote workforce. So how do you go about um, hiring and then how do you actually, you know, manage people that are all remote? Yeah. So, I mean, our Slack's pretty active um, and uh, hiring is actually very easy as a remote company, believe it or not. A lot of people um, want the opportunity to work remotely, um, to live wherever they want to live. I mean, like, I think what's amazing about this country is that there's so many great small towns everywhere. And uh, a lot of us came from these very small, small towns. Um, like, um, yes, we gravitate towards the cities, but, um, you know, I think people like to be near their family. Um, they um, like to have the opportunity to not have to be in a big city like Boston or New York or San Francisco or, or what have you. Um, and um, it's like people are talented everywhere. You know, like you, you don't have to be in these cities to find, like, the best talent. Um, and so we found great talent pretty much anywhere, everywhere and anywhere you could think of. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, hiring, like as soon as you say you're remote, it's like the number of resumes you get like skyrockets. Um, so it's quite easy to hire actually. How about the, the management side of, you know, keeping that culture collaboration, you say it's an active Slack channel, but like what, how are you able to you know, mentor or, you know, manage people day to day? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, um, a lot of zoom calls, Zoom video, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I also don't necessarily know that we're great at it. Um, but, um, you know, I think you have to find people who are great at communicating self starters, then kind of organize their own day, manage their own kind of, uh, corner of the business. Um, and yeah, I would say like, you know, we're always trying to get better stuff like that. I mean, it's not easy, like managing a remote company, 50 people, I wake up every day, like trying to learn how to do it better basically. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's an ongoing challenge for sure. The industry for ad tech, like wh where do you see it going? Like, like, you know, you have this, um, you know, you're trying to provide value to the web, right? Not trying to, uh, you know, leverage more of the alternative ways that ad tech companies follow. Uh, but like, wh where do you see the industry going for, for ad tech in general? Yeah. So, I mean, there, I think there's a number of signals out there today. Um, there's stuff like GDPR in Europe. Uh, and for anybody who doesn't know, that's a, or if you work in tech, you should know what GDPR is by now. But um, basically, every time you go to someone's website and it asks you, do I agree to accept these cookies? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, and those, the, like the implementation side of it is super annoying. Um, but what it represents, uh, like its core, um, you know, tenets of, of how users deserve privacy is something I personally believe in. Um, we didn't actually have to do much to be compliant with GDPR um, because we already weren't utilizing um, PII and um, dropping cookies to target ads properly to users. Um, I think uh, that we'll see something like GDPR either more so in spirit or in law here in the U.S. Uh, in the next five to ten years. Um, and so that's a signal. Um, I think um, if you look at what folks are doing uh, with the browsers. So, uh, Safari, um, disabling third party cookies by default, Firefox following suit, 
and uh, Chrome is rumored. I think there might actually be something out about that today. I need to catch up. But um, and of course, Brave, right? Brave is a very small new browser, but um, they have all ads blocked and all um, like Google Analytics, like all of the all of the trackers turned off by default. Um, DuckDuckGo too, right? They do that, right? Exactly. So that's another signal, right? Search uh, browser, yeah. Yeah, and so I think like they're like um, people are starting to become better informed about how their data is getting used to, um, I, I don't think manipulate is a strong word, but essentially to manip manipulate their behavior online, um, which isn't always in a bad way, right? Like sometimes when ads, you see ads that are based on data, they're actually good. So like, it's not like all database ad targeting is bad. I think where it is bad is when you're not providing consent. And so, um, I expect that we will con continue to see advances or um, a move towards solutions that are more privacy conscious, where you are able to opt in instead of having to opt out. Um, and in terms of my business, you know, I'm, I'm. This isn't, uh, you know, the next uh, Google AdSense right now or the next Facebook ads. Like that's a. a like those are realities that we compete with every day, but like don't ultimately impact how I think about ad tech or uh, mm -hmm. about how I think about my business on the web. Um, I know that I'll always be able to provide better service to publishers than someone like a Google or a Facebook. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm not sure what the rest of ad tech is planning to do with the duopoly. Um, but um, I think that uh, any, any solution right now, that helps users recapture their privacy uh, is a winning solution for some period of time. So. We talked about some of the acquisitions that you've made. What, what advice would you give to founders that um, you know, are looking to do the same to you know, acquire companies? Yeah, I mean, like, just uh, don't be shy. Like, I wish I had done more of them uh, sooner. Uh, I wish I had um, you know, probably brought somebody on with a bit more finance background at PSA earlier it was just me doing these deals um, for the most part. Um, and like we were super conservative in how we finance them because we financed them with our own money. Um, but we probably could have been more aggressive. So um, I'd say, um, you know, roll up your sleeves, get some deals done. Like cash flow is king, uh, you know, in a business. So any anytime you can buy something that fits into your existing stack, if you will, um, yeah, definitely take a look at it. And how do you, do, you know, like, I guess if you're buying anything, there's a negotiation of what someone's willing to pay and what someone's willing to sell it for. So what, like, what would you learn during that process of negotiating, you know, the, the sale of a company? It's not like a sale of a home or, you know, it's, it's a different circumstance. Yeah. I mean, like I know what will work for our business. And so, um, you know, we, we have like a, a model we work off of basically. And like, we can go either side of that. Um, but, um, we just stay true to that. we know that, you know, if it's, if somebody is wants, you know, X number of years multiple, like it just doesn't work for us. Um, and so we just kind of live within our means, which is kind of a theme behind having bootstrap business at all. It's really just, you're living within your means. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's, that's what you have to work with. So, so outside of, uh, outside of work, like how do you spend your time? Well, uh, I have three young children, six, four, and three. 
Um, oh, and, so you're busy. <laughs> yeah, so that is my life outside of work right now. Um, but um, yeah, no, I don't really have any hobbies going on right now. That's for sure. <laughs> my hobby is life. <laughs> exactly. My uh, my girls are older, so. Uh, yeah. I'm starting to get to the point where I'm getting, getting some time back, although they're super yeah. busy with sports and driving them around. So I have a, you know, a freshman and a seventh grader, oh, wow. uh, but all of a sudden you'll find like they're busy with their friends too. So you're like, wow, I can actually go out and play around a golf and not feel guilty about it. This is amazing. Yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, one thing I'm definitely fascinated with is, um, crypto, um, not in like the let's get rich off magical internet money. Um, aspect of it, but, um, the idea of being able to transmit payments, uh, like, you know, very cheaply because we do, we transmit a ton of payments to buy sell ads. Um, and I think that there are going to be some monetization models that evolve, uh, because of the ability to more easily transfer like super small payments, like a penny, five, five cents, what have you. Um, and so a lot of my free time, it's basically me playing with stuff like that basically. So. so even, so you just highlighted something that goes back to the beginning of our conversation. You always have kind of like this side, I don't want to call it a side hustle, but you know, you're always kind of looking at what's the next thing, what else can we be doing? And obviously that's smart for your business. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I'm obsessed with uh, figuring out how to help publishers make money on the web. Um, and uh, you know, whether that's through ads or not, like it doesn't matter to me, anything that helps them make money. Uh, so that's, for whatever reason, that's why I'm here apparently. So, Well, Todd, thanks so much for taking the time for sharing all you know your background and all the great things you're doing with buy, sell ads and obviously all the great advice for other entrepreneurs that are trying to do the same of you know, bootstrapping a company. Yeah, thanks. thanks for having me and thanks everybody for listening. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.